This is Chad Brashears, and you're listening to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. This podcast is about creating a behind-the-scenes look with coaches, fans, and reporters from our point of view, sharing cool stories as only we've lived them. The goal is for you to learn something new to help your life and allow yourself to take a break from everyday chaos and let us give you a behind-the-scenes look into our world. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... One. January the 4th, 2021, and I hope you're having a great morning, kicking off the first work day of the new year. For uh, some NFL coaches, it's what they call Black Monday, and it's a uh, time that they start to fire coaches, fire offensive coordinators, and fire defensive coordinators as the seasons have come to an end for all but 14 teams in the NFL. So far today, Adam Gacy has been fired by the Jets. The Jaguars got rid of Doug Marone. The Chargers fired Anthony Lynn. And that's a uh, that's just this morning on the head coaching spots. I did read earlier today that a the offensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins was let go. So it makes it interesting and tough as a uh, as a coach who has been in the situation where you've gotten that phone call before. It's never one that you wish upon anybody, but uh, it does test your character a little bit. It does test your resolve. And, you know, the sad part and the good part for coaches in the NFL is it's kind of a coaching carousel, and these guys uh, will get back on some bench or some sideline, as they put it, in the NFL somewhere. So I hope you guys are having a great day. Look forward to tuning back into you very shortly. And as we sign off, it's... Never in my wildest dreams podcast. We'll be back in three, two, one. To this afternoon show, we have Sean Postiglione, who is the head coach at Moravian College. He uh, was named that on September 16, 2019, so he just finished his first year. I've known Sean for a very long time now. He worked uh, at Randolph, making Christopher Newport and Bridgewater College in the ODAC when I was a coach at the uh, collegiate level at Shenandoah University. So we were able to spend a lot of summers together on the road traveling, got to hang out and cut up a few stories. And uh, I look forward to doing the same today with Sean. want to talk a little bit about college ball. want to see how his recollection has been with what COVID's going on and how it's affected him and his program and what the possibility of them are playing this uh, current season. And uh, Sean's going to be calling in here shortly, so I look forward to talking to him soon. In my wildest dream podcast, have Coach Sean Postiglione on with me today. Looking forward to this one. Sean's a really good friend of mine. We've uh, we've battled a lot in the the last uh, fourteen years or so. Sean's been in the business. I've been in the business for seventeen. We battled recruiting. We battled from uh, the different sideline spots as uh, as me as an assistant, him as a head, and as an assistant. So I look forward to uh, having this conversation. Sean's been. Sean has had a hell of a career so far, and uh, you know I look up to him a little bit, even though he's a young, he's a little younger than me. But you know, for 14 years, he's done it all at the college level. His uh, his he has had one year at Wagner College, which obviously is Division One. He was able to take that to Christopher Newport for four years, where he did an unbelievable job in the recruiting place and getting that program back on the map. He uh, was able to go work for Nathan Davis for one year at Randolph Macon. Learned an unbelievable amount under Nathan, as I uh, as I ask him a little bit here later. But uh, you know, Nathan was able to jump from there to Bucknell, and Sean was actually able to go to uh, Bridgewater College as a head coach at a very young age. So eight years in assistant, six years a head coach. He just finished his first year at Moravian College 
Um, I know he's been battling the COVID stuff just like we all have, but Sean, I appreciate you coming on the show with me today, knowing that you've been on a ton of other Zoom calls and calls recently. I'm sure I'm sure your schedule's been flooded, but I appreciate you coming on today. Oh, well, thanks a lot for having me, Chad. I appreciate that uh, very nice introduction. And when you say it, you know, when I hear that 14 years and like you said, you know, fortunate three years as a D1 assistant and then five as a D3 assistant and now going on, this is year six as a D3 head coach. And I definitely think you age in dog years. Uh, so even though I'm a, a little bit uh, younger than you, uh, I think uh, I think in like actual years, I might be a lot older since, you know, 14 as a, as a college coach and six as a head coach, especially. I, I think you age at a little bit more advanced rate. So I, I think that's why... You know, you definitely uh, look a lot younger than I am, despite uh, maybe being a little bit older. No, I, I can I can agree with that. I mean, I, I do know, and, and I think that this coming season, if we both play, I think in, in fairness to the people that listen to this show and to everybody else, I think the coolest thing that we need to do, and this is, this is going to be funny, we're going to do it, we need to each wear either a Fitbit or we need to wear an Apple Watch or something on the sidelines during a game. I want to see who walks further during a basketball game, me or you, on the sideline. I, I, I am, I, as you know, I have a habit, <laughs> especially as a head coach, of course, you can't do it as an assistant, but I could, I could pace with the best of them. Oh, good, good golly. In recent years, but it, it, you're racking up some stats, you know, depending on the game and the environment and everything. Oh, my oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, we played <clears throat> our arch rivals, North Hagerstown High School. And, you know, this past year, we were fortunate we were able to finally get them for the first time. I kind of had the monkey on my back a little bit and got it off. But I walked three miles that game. And that's in a 28-foot 20, coach's box. I walked three miles. That's a lot of walking. But, you know, the, it's the nervous energy that we have on the sideline because it's our passion. And I know that's how it was when I coached against you, especially when you were at Bridgewater. I, I always enjoyed looking down the bench. If we were making a run or something, you know, and you'd have to call a timeout, that was the, the fastest I think you ever moved out to the huddle off the in the middle of the court. You met the other five about six or seven feet on the court because you just weren't going to let them get to the bench anytime soon. You know, I think uh... – I, I learned from one of the best uh, coaches, period, Mike Dean, who is a former head coach at Marquette and yep. Siena, took a bunch of teams into the NCAA tournament. And one of his things was, you know, timeouts early in games. You know, some coaches like to save them. And Mike would always say, uh, you know, you can't win the game in the first half, but you definitely can lose it. And, and so I've taken that approach uh, with me and uh, as a head coach, and, and particularly when it comes to, like, focus and scouting report things early in the game. Uh, you're just trying to nip things in the bud, uh, you know. And it was one of those games I remember uh, my first year at Bridgewater. We were playing at Randolph-Macon. Obviously, tremendous program. I was fortunate enough to work there. Great history tradition. And we went down double digits early. And I think I burned four out of five term timeouts in the first half, just keeping us in the game. Because once 10 to 15 gets to 20, 25, you're, you're kind of out of it. And we kept it within like 12, I think, down at halftime. And we ended up storming back in the second half and winning the game. And so I always use that as an example of uh, potentially keeping yourself in it in the first half with your timeout to give yourself a chance, you know, in the second half. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because I came from a place where 
the coach that I played for in high school and that I worked for when I got out of college and started kind of got in the coaching business, he liked to save them. So I've always kind of saved them. Um, and my dad's my one of my assistant coaches. I know you had the opportunity to meet him down at Shenandoah the one time after the game there in uh, Shingleton. The last It was actually the last game period in Shingleton. You and I were sitting there in the uh, hallway talking, and I introduced you to dad. He gets on me so much. He's like, "You got to use one. You got to use one. You, you you can't you can't let it go any further. You got to use one." I've gotten a little looser with it. I still like to have that like one in my back pocket just in case, just in case something gets goofy. But you're right. I've I've never really thought about it early. Um, and the the more that we that we've talked about this while sitting here just for a couple of minutes, that's actually pretty intriguing. You know, you keep it tight and then just let the kids play. You know. Yeah, a few things on that. So one. Um, well, for me, you know, the other thing that's helpful to not have any to not have too many too late in the game, I'll probably just screw it up anyway, you know, throw something up that's not going to work or, you know, I, I'll probably just end up screwing the end of the game up anyway. So hopefully I prepared the ball in practice and I can't do any more damage late in the game with all those extra timeouts. And, uh, and to your point about Shingleton, yes, like. No matter what, you know, I have not accomplished much in this career of mine, but at least I'm an answer to a very useless trivia question of who was the last coach to win a game in, in Shenandoah Shingleton Gymnasium. And that, that would be me. We, we another comeback win right there over over the Hornets uh, probably was about two, three years ago. Right? Yeah, that was um, that was my first year at South. It was uh, my it was the year after I left there. And uh, yeah, we came down and that was a good time. I enjoyed watching you guys. You guys battled. I mean, all your teams battle and, and you know, they play so hard. And, I, and honestly, I think it's because you coach them hard. I mean, I think you get kids that know how you're going to coach and they just kind of are, it's like almost joining the army. Like you have to be a part of it. And I'm not saying you're like the army, but if you're not bought all the way in, it's difficult. I mean, and, and I, I hated going against your teams that way because I knew that no matter what, they were just going to be absolute pests for 40 minutes when I was at the college level. I knew it was just me a dogfight and you know, you ran a really good ball screen motion. I still don't know if you if you still run that or not, but you ran ball screen. That made it really difficult to gauge what was going to happen. And you had the right players. I do remember, though, it might have been your first year. And if I'm if I'm wrong, tell me. It might have been your first year. You ran a last second play and beat us at home. Yes. Out yes, of a timeout. The buzzer. Yeah. Yes, you did. Yes. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Was it a yeah. little like a back door? Like it was a sideline out of bounds play, and I think everybody flooded to the back door cut, and you left a guy wide open shooting a three. Am I wrong in thinking that? Wasn't it something like that? Well, well that's a very kind way to describe it. I think I drew it up, but just you know, just screen and run around, and someone got open. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was kind of like some screen to screener action, and 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 the, one of the guys said in the last screen popped back to the ball and then hit like a really deep three. Yep. Um. So that you know that was yeah that that was uh, an end of game play that I didn't mess up too badly. Uh. But you gotta get lucky and you gotta have guys that can make shots. See, you, in those you, situations, you, you saved well. it. You just saved. You just saved the last set, the last time out there for that one. Um. <laughs> exactly. Then a couple of years later. You know, we had one against you to tie the game, and your guy came out of nowhere and blocked the shot. So, yes. you know, it all evens out, I think, eventually. And, you know, and you made a point about our teams, and they play hard. And I really appreciate it, I think, as a coach, you know, to say that your teams are prepared and they play hard are, are some of the highest compliments you can get. And I think, though, it's interesting that you say, you know, I, I do think um, 
you know, because you're trying to, you know, this podcast, I think it's great, trying to give a little behind the scenes and, and a little bit of like insight into coaching and, and sports. And for me, I, I've changed a lot over the years. I've changed, uh, not that you change who you are, but you, you learn more about yourself mm-hmm. and, and you find the best ways to convey the things that you want to convey. And I think right. early on when you're younger, especially as a young head coach, like you mentioned, I was 27 when I was first time college head coach. And I'm definitely intense. And I, and I think that's part of who I am. That's part of what drives you is you're intense and you're, you're driven and you're detail oriented and all that stuff. But there's a, there's always in life a balance. Balance is key. And I think I was too much of that. Uh, maybe sometimes as an assistant and especially early in my career. And I've had to learn how to channel that and still be, holding people accountable and still be instilling that kind of toughness, but also doing it in a way that's going to bring out the best in people all the time. And I, I think that's one thing that I've had to, uh, with myself, grow and develop as a coach. Because we ask our players to grow and develop, and I think a lot of coaches aren't, uh, and, and me early on maybe too, like you, you're not looking at yourself enough in terms of what can I do to get better, not just in my knowledge, but how I'm coaching, who I am as a person, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I my first two years, three years, well, two years, I should say, because I just finished my third, at South after I left Shenandoah. And, you know, you and I talked a lot as I was taking that job. I actually remember getting hired for that job and driving up to Pittsburgh and you and I hanging out on the sideline. And I really didn't have to kind of recruit that day. It was nice to just sit there and talk with you for a little bit because we didn't have to, like, stressfully take notes down as we recruited. But... Um, I, I was the same way. Like I, you can't squeeze any more blood out of a turnip. And, and I felt like the harder I squeezed, the more I was going to get. And really what I was doing was popping water balloons. And so this past year, um, we started out in a little bit of a skid early. And as we got to Christmas, I just decided I was going to kind of change my approach. And I went really loose. And when I say loose, I kept telling them we're going to go beach mode. So I had a couple kids that spoke nothing but Spanish. They were from the Dominican, so that kind of fit their whole repertoire really well. And the guys really vibed with it. But I told them, like, look, we're going to be like we are in the summer. Like, we're at the beach, so we're going to wear... I wore, like, loud shorts to practice and just kind of had, like, you know, a hat a hat on backwards. And I just tried to bring this, you know... I know I'll pick one New Jersey Shore for you, but for, for me it was Ocean <laughs> City and Outer Banks. But just bring... Uh, total relaxation of vacation to practice. And and I think the kids saw that I just loved on them a little differently that way. And we responded winning 11 out of our last 12 games. Now, I'm not going to sit here and write a book and say, man, you got to act like you're hanging out at the beach in order to get basketball wins. But I think once you know your kids and they see that you're a real human being and you're not this like dictator or this Sergeant Slaughter, I think that changes a lot, and and I do believe that that was more helpful for us. And I and I will say this: you were really intense when I when I coached against you. But I do know that you love hard, and I do know that your players know that you care a lot about them. Um, but you're right. I mean, the approach is what we lose sight of. I mean, mental health and coaching is big. And I was going to ask you: I know what it's like to be. I was a head coach, and then I was a JUCO assistant. I was a uh, Division three four-year assistant, and now I'm back to being a high school head coach again. And I know what my body does in season, and I know where my mind goes in season. Tell me a little bit about the jump for you to go from Randolph-Macon, where you like never lost any basketball games, 
to having to go build a program at Bridgewater, get the kids to come in, get the ones that were currently there in a situation that was probably a little rough for you to take over for, and then you were able to get them to turn to your way. And then what stresses did your body take on? I mean, how much sleep did you lose? How much hair did you lose? I mean, that type of stuff is funny to me because that's what we all do. Like, I lose 15 pounds every season of stress. Sean, you've seen me. I weigh like a, I weighed myself the other day. I'm 191 pounds. It's the heaviest I've been in a while. But when I was 165, I couldn't I couldn't lose 15 pounds. My suits were like looking like drapes on me. So for me, being calm last year really helped me not lose as much weight and my mind. How about you? What what, would, what was it like in that transition years for you? Uh, well, so yeah, you touched upon a lot of good stuff there. I, I think um, first and foremost. Uh, I, with guys, you know, you said you talk about loving hard. Um, I think you have to meet, especially in 2021, it's weird even saying that year, but you got to meet kids where you are, where they are. Sorry. You have to meet kids where they are, right? Mm -hmm. You have to, um, understand today's teenager, today's young adult and, um, be able to meet them where they are without sacrificing your standards and, and principles. And that's hard to do. But I think with today's kid, a lot of that is a lighter, softer touch than maybe um, the older ways of doing things and coaching. Yeah. And I think um, along with that, you as a coach, I think you said it best, like, and I, and this is something that took me a while to figure out. You have to let them see you as a person. And I think that's hard for a lot of people to do because you're the one in authority, you're the leader, especially as if it's your first head coaching job or even as an assistant, but particularly as a head coach, they have to see you as a person. You have to be vulnerable enough to allow that side of you to come out. And that's hard to do in anything. You know, that's mm -hmm. where a lot of relationships don't work out because of the lack of that openness or vulnerability. And I think to be an effective coach, especially head coach, a leader, you have to be able to do that to an extent so people can see you for who you are because that makes everything you ask them to do a lot more of a uh, an easier process than if it's like a, like you said, the dictator or I'm telling you what to do right uh, from up top. And but that's hard because coaching, you talk, you asked about it. It's a very stressful and being a head coach, I've told people this, and I think this goes for almost any leadership position. But being a head coach, especially when, and this is not to downgrade high school or AAU or anything, but especially when it's your livelihood, right? Like you're, if you don't do well, if you don't succeed, you don't make any more money. Like you get fired from your job and your life. And and I've given 14 years of my life now to this. And, right. and so when it, then that's the case, it, it can be the loneliest position or the loneliest place to be, maybe anywhere in life. Right. When you're the head coach and you're not having success, because when you're an assistant, you have that buffer zone. The head coach carries most of that weight. And yeah. when you're the head coach, there's no buffer zone. Like there's nowhere to <clears throat> place that weight of the pressure of not just winning and losing, but are your kids succeeding in life? Are they getting good grades? Are they staying out of trouble? Are they themselves doing well from a mental health perspective? Um, you have your administrators, you have your staff, you have your family. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have a relationship, you have that. Uh, and you have um, your, your donors, you have alums that you have to answer questions to. So there's all these people 
that you feel like I don't want to let these people down. And every loss, you feel like, at least I did, you know, to an extent, and you can, but it's easy to get into that mode of, I let all these people down. You know, we had a bad year. I let all these people down. And that can lead you to a pretty dark place. And you don't have a ton of other outlets potentially to shift that weight onto. And, And so I think it's really important and I've been very fortunate, like yourself, I, I have a lot of great relationships in the coaching world, guys that, that are some of my best friends that I consider brothers to me. Yep. And they're it's just a tremendous resource to have when you're going through tough times. And I, I think I've gone through, you know, some times where leaning on people, talking to people, my, my best friends in this profession has been unbelievably helpful. And I, I think that's important as a as a coach. You know, you have to make, find a way to have that clarity and that balance in your life, and that's what talking to other people can do sometimes. Because it's very easy to get your identity locked up in the wins and losses, and that's a really bad place to get into. But that's something I've learned, and I've tried to get better with. And all those things, you know, where you're you're focused on stuff that you can control versus so many things that you can't control. But it's hard when your result is public. It's in the newspaper. It's on websites, yeah. you know, and, and you're summarized by a win or a loss, but mm-hmm. that's what you can internally summarize or judge yourself by as hard as that can be sometimes. Otherwise it leads you to tough places because there's a lot of stresses, pressures, your livelihood, all those things. And you gotta find a way to cope with all that or else you're not going to be successful and you're not going to have a, a happy existence no and, and and you hit on a lot of unbelievable stuff right there and i'm going to go back on a little bit of it i know um i mean you're dead on you know if you talk to an entrepreneur and they'll say if you chase money you'll constantly be running and and i think the thing that we as coaches do and i and i've been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of people like you have you know your your phone your phone directory even though we don't want to brag about it or admit it we have some connections that we could call certain people up that are going to help us who's been there done that and going to talk to us for an hour two hours or an entire drive down to virginia beach or wherever you're going to recruit you have that ability to get in a car and just have that conversation and you know, you're one of the guys that I would call all the time like i, I know there would be text we get you know three or four losses in a row and there's text messages. man you got a minute and I would, and you know what's coming, and I knew what was coming. If you, hey man, how you doing? How things going? You got a second? Yeah, I do, because I know that we're in this together, and I consider you one of my closest friends in the business. I mean, there's kind of an Odak Rat Pack, I call us. That you know, it's you, me, Dave, and there's a couple of others in there. That no matter where we ended up, it was either going to be Bar Louie or one of the bars that night. We were going to end up. And we would just kind of shoot the bull. And the the week before we played each other, a couple days, we probably wouldn't text or talk as much. But as soon as the game ended, and either you got on the bus or I got on the bus, the text start back up. That's just how it was. And, I, and I've always appreciated that. But, you know, <clears throat> we spend so much time looking at wins and losses, and you do get rated by that. And And I do think that's the toughest part of our gig. I mean, you look at somebody like, um, I, I, I'm going to probably pronounce it wrong, but Adam Gacy for the Jets. The guy goes nine and twenty three is canned. Well, uh, you know that I think he was canned after two years at nine and twenty three. Well, if you flip that, and I'm not comparing the Jets to the Packers. Obviously, I'm a Packers guy, and you know that. But if you look at the Packers side of it, they went thirteen three two years in a row. Like Matt Lafleur will have to like basically tank 
to get fired in Green Bay. Like that dude's starting to get probably a street named after him at the rate he's going after two years. So it is hard because that's how we are gauged. And we get so locked in on that once, I'll, I'll say at your level, November 15th in a normal year. November 15th, you get locked in because that's when games start. And you're going to do it until February. Hopefully you get into March if you're lucky. And when you get into those spots, once the season's over, you look back and so many things are gauged on, man, what did we do? Did we make the UDX tournament? Did we get down to Salem? Did we win at Moravian? Did we keep up what the tradition was? And I'm just kind of using examples there, but it, I know I know it stressed me out a lot. I know it stressed you out a lot in the talks that we've had in the past. And mental health for coaches is something that not is, is not talked about a lot. And I'll be honest with you, I'm reading a book on masculinity as trying to help myself as I battle through depression and anxiety and some other some other things, borderline personality and bipolar, which I now take medication for because I didn't realize I had those things until you start talking to a therapist. And then once you start talking to a therapist and they tell you, hey, this is going to help your life, well, shit, it does. And I'll be honest with you about that. But, you know, we just don't look at mental health enough in coaches. And there's probably a lot of coaches that have very similar situations that just don't want to admit it because it's not a manly thing to do. And and I'm first one to probably say admit it because your life becomes a whole hell of a lot easier once you start taking care of that stuff. Yeah, well, I think that's, you know, a great thing that you're honest and open with your own personal story because I think these, there's still a lot of work to be done with talking about that stuff and, and, the, and the, the, the solutions, the resources that are out there for people. And, and it's not just mental health because the mental health and stress leads to physical health problems. You know, I've had um, physical health problems brought on yeah. by stress. Yeah, I remember you uh, telling me that. Being a head coach. And just look, this year, just this year, there have been two Division One head men's basketball coaches that have had strokes. I saw uh, that. The past few months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's that? I've seen, I, I saw that. The last, the, the two, um, and, and one had a heart attack and died, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah, I know, like, Navy's head coach had a stroke and Hofstra's head coach had strokes. And then, yeah, and, and there are guys, yeah, there have been guys that have heart attacks and yep. all those things. And, and, and it's, you know, yeah, that happens in the general population, but it's very likely tied to the stress of the profession and, so there's the physical side of it. And I've, you know, one of the things I've done the last, probably since, again, the last couple of years, and that was a big reason why I took the Moravian job, because I thought uh, the situation would be better for me from a administrative support standpoint and being able to do these things that we're talking about for myself. Right. Um, because it's very hard to leave a head coaching job for another head coaching job, leaving those guys, those recruits behind. You, you feel like you feel terrible. Right. Uh, and I still do, you know, but but you got to make these decisions based on what you think can fit yourself better. And I, and I think this job is probably a better fit for me than the previous job. And that's no one's fault. Right. But you got to you got to find places and people that bring out the best in you and not, you know, speak to your darker <laughs> sides. Right. And, right. And, uh, and I think, like you said, like you have to find solutions. So it could be medication. It could be therapy. I think, I, I, I think therapy is something that too many people don't maybe look at, but I'm glad it worked for you. And I think it's worked for a lot of other people for sure. I think there's a tremendous amount of value to that. I think for me too, I, I throughout 
this corona and, and i even was started it a little bit before but working out physical fitness i yeah. i'm probably the, the lightest at 33 i feel a lot older uh in some ways but i'm probably <laughs> in some of the best shape i've been in my life that's even, awesome uh or at least for at least the last 10 years or so Good. in terms of my weight and all that other stuff and it's just from working out, you know, and, and obviously I have time, you know, to do it with lack of practice and games. But, you know, that stuff's important. Talking to people is important and being able to open up and say you're feeling this way. And, and well, how can you get better? You know, how can you look at things differently? And like you said, not getting tied up in the wins and losses, um, focusing on relationships. Like last year, you know, I got this job at the end of September to right. like two weeks before practice and the team had had a lot of success prior and I, and there was a lot of returners that were having to take on much bigger roles. And so there was a lot of feeling out and there was a lot of uh, trying to learn about each other and struggles and ups and downs. And I think what really turned is it got to like the middle of January and I allowed them to see more of me and I was able to find a way to have really, the good, honest, and open conversations with the whole team, particularly the upperclassmen, and let them see a little bit more of me. And from that time forward, I think we finished seven and two or eight and two, you know, down the stretch of the season. Yep. And, and it was one of my most successful seasons as a head coach. So I think there is a lot of value to that, both from a personal standpoint in your own uh, well-being and then the well-being of your team as well. Uh, doing those things we meditate as a team now, you really? I started that in the fall yeah team meditations how do you like doing and that? well i think we talk a lot about i think mental the mental side of sports the mental side of life even but especially sports mental training we talk about mental toughness right how yep. often as coaches you gotta be tough we talk about mental toughness you gotta be resilient <laughs> we gotta be tough yep but then what are you doing to train that what are you doing to build that, right? Mm -hmm. Because we want to get stronger, we go in the weight room. Yep. We want to get better as a shooter, well, we get a lot of shots up before and after practice. Yep. But then we say, well, we got to be mentally tougher. But then what do we do? We sit around and talk about it, I guess, right? We watch film. Like You got to do things to train or build that skill as well. Absolutely. And so and – so, Again, right, even as an individual, right, you talked about therapy, you talked about, um, you know, for us, I think meditation is really good. I, I think journaling, right, you know, or just talking to people about it or like in practice, really putting guys in situations where they're going to be challenged and then not letting them off the hook when they don't respond in the best way to that adversity or that resiliency, right? And not in a angry way, but in like a teaching way, like, hey, you gotta, this is a moment where you have to respond better, you know? So putting them in those situations and practice, that's why for us, most of our practice is competition. Yeah. And I think guys like it, but I think also, again, it's like, you just got your tail kicked in a drill. Well, what do you do the next drill? But you can't do anything about what you just had, what you just did. Right. But you can do something about what's about to happen. Exactly. Or if you're angry or you're frustrated, okay, that's like you never like. I think people too think like, well, you 
to be healthy mentally is to never feel any negative emotion. Well, that's not true. Like you can't go through life you, to have positive emotions. You have to have negative ones too. But when you feel the negative emotions, whether it's angry or frustration or disappointment or whatever, you don't have to respond a certain way though. You don't have to respond in a negative way. You can still respond to those things in a positive way. And so that's a key to trying to get through to guys as well. And so how do you do that? It's hard, but I think that's, an undercoached thing, especially with today's kid, is that mental side, the confidence, you know, the how do you respond to adversity? How do you, you know, talk to yourself? That self-talk, because I'm guilty of that a lot, and I've worked a lot on it. And how do you deal with the emotions and your responses, right? It's about your response. It's not about what happens to you. It's about how you respond. And then what other resources are you utilizing? And I think you mentioned some good ones. And it's a it's a it's a ongoing lifetime thing. Like this and it's not something that you just figure out and then you're good, you know? Right. Like, no, and, and you honestly have to constantly work on it. Yeah, it it took me a while to find a therapist that I trusted and that I liked and I didn't feel was critical. And that's not I mean, that's just what I was fighting internally too, that I got to a point where it's like, okay, this guy works for me and I'm gonna do it. Now, I do have two questions for you on this. I'll hit the first one. That's just because, you know, you talked about working out. What is your workout music? I mean, are we, are we listening to, like, <laughs> Bruce Springsteen when we're running here? Because I know you're a Springsteen fan. So, you know, you going with the boss when you work out? Or what are we What are we pumping? So, and you talked about with your team. So, it's funny you mentioned the beach theme. Because I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of this lockdown stuff, spring, summer, even into the fall, at a beach town. And I was very blessed for that that's awesome and so like um our our motion offense uh that we're our five out stuff that we're going to run if we hopefully when we play knock on wood uh we just we're calling it summertime there you go and with and the uh the symbol the the hand symbol for that is that surfer like hang loose there you, you know, go shaka, you're doing, you're you doing know, the right? shaka right that's what they the call shaka. it the shaka yep. yes yeah so that's that's our that's our base offense this year and when we, so we practice in October, November, we got shut down, you know, like a lot of division threes. And now we're going to bring the guys back, uh, on January 11th. Yep. I, I am going to have this practice be a, a rock concert. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell each guy, I'm going to text it actually this week. I'm going to say, you got five songs you could send me. God be clean. I'll put the Spotify list together and we're going to blast that for as much as practice as we can. Uh, when we're not teaching or, you know, showing stuff. Right. And, you know, why not? You know, I think these guys need it. Uh, you know, they've been through a lot. Talk about the mental side. You know, it's tough being a senior in high school right now. It's tough being uh, a senior in college. It's tough being anywhere in high school or college. Um, and so what can we do to, to help these guys? And for myself personally, uh, you, you called me out. I, I am a, as big a Bruce fan as there is. So obviously he's he plays uh, an important part in uh, any kind of pretty much anything I do anything you do you can find Bruce music to match it but he's he's on there uh, it depends if I, if I'm working out with someone uh, obviously I usually have to tone the Bruce down and I have to kind of give uh, give the uh, the DJ playlist over to you know uh, who I'm working out with I, um, you know I usually work out solo but. If I have a uh, you know special friend or someone uh, that I'm with, I'll let them handle that. And then uh, Bruce, country, and um, some rock, Johnny Cash, 
Um, there's a band better than Ezra that I really like. Yep. Um, the Gaslight Anthem, a little more obscure, but they're a New Jersey rock band. All the country stuff, you know, all the, the big country acts I'm a big fan of. And then, of course, you know, got to mix in some, you know, normal uh, everyday pop and uh, R&B and, uh, you know, and rap. Uh, and maybe, you know, Chad, if the mood strikes, you, you throw on a little T-Swift and, and you let Taylor Swift just take it home. And there's you know? nothing. I'm, I'm not I'm not opposed to it. I'm there's not nothing wrong with that. that. That's uh, if the situation, the movie calls for it. You got to go there sometimes. There's nothing wrong. You're about as big of a Bruce Springsteen fan as I am Jimmy Buffett. It's kind of hard to run to the Jimmy Buffett stuff, but you know, I, I, I would equate when you get when you touch down on the sand, it's probably Bruce in the head and, and a nice cold beverage of adult type in your hand. I'm kind of the same way, except I got the Buffett rocking, and uh, you know, it's just taking me to a place that uh, is fun. Which I think it's awesome that you're calling your your motion offense summertime. That is just absolutely sweet. If you if I send up any game film this year and I'm doing the shock on the sideline, I stole that idea from you because I think that's an absolutely perfect way to get the kids to buy in. The second question I had for you was toughness. We talked about that and, and we talked a little bit about the mental side of stuff. Do you ever list out what your description of toughness is for your guys? And and I've started to do this a little bit because you would get in a huddle and you're you're in the in the fight of a game and, and you get this t- minute timeout and you're revved up and you're like god would you just be tougher and you're yelling at one kid who's probably like scared to death that he's going to screw up and get yanked out which i tried to be be better at that part and you know exactly what i'm talking about but if i don't tell them what truly toughness is taking charges getting loose balls not letting your man get a rebound do you ever name those out to your guys and say man this is how i'm going to rate how really tough you are it's not about if you can fight harder. It's if you do these five things for me or these three things for me, that's how I know you're tough enough to handle what I'm going to put you through. Yeah, I think you hit on something really important. I think all great coaches, and I try to do it better and better every year, is you you can't assume that your guys know what you're talking about right. when you use labels or words. And you have to ask your – you have to explain, all right, this is what – this looks like so if you're talking about toughness like you just mentioned okay this is what toughness looks like and then you have to one reward it and point it out when it happens and you have to point it out like in practice you know on film that's why you know it's tough at this level with manners and stuff you know film and practice every day but it's so important because you have to show them game film practice film or hopefully live you can pin it point it out your assistants point it out you know what that stuff looks like, you know, diving on the floor or, hey, you just turned the ball over or you just missed the shot, but you sprinted back full speed and got back and set your defense so the offense didn't get an open shot in transition. You jumped in the paint and landed on two feet and instead of taking a wild shot, you kicked out to your open teammate. You know, I think you have to point out those things so often because a lot of kids don't have those habits as they're growing up. And you have to just constantly point them out in a good way. And also when they're not doing them as best as you can live in practice or on film and just drill it, drill it, drill it, drill it. And whatever it is, you know, what does being a good teammate look like? What does being selfless look like? What is being emotionally under control? You know, but what does mental toughness look like? What does physical toughness look like? Yeah, I think you 
you have to really break those things down. But again, as coaches, sometimes you break it down once and then you forget about it. No, it has to be a daily thing, you know, growth, change, improvement, getting to who you want to be as a person or where you want to be as a person. All those things take time. They, and it's a daily thing of doing those things that you need to do and doing them well. And so you have to have patience, you have to have a plan and you got to have, you know, that, that mindset of, let me get a little bit better every single day. And if I do that, you know, then, then you get to where you want to go eventually. Right. So COVID, what's it looking like for you guys? What, what's the steps? If you're not allowed to share, I completely understand, but what, what, what is the plan at Moravian? What, uh, what, steps what uh restrictions are you guys being put on as we speak right now going into you know the the 2021 calendar year yeah so you know again division two and division three has had it rough right because of just the finances the resources at this level i think we're fortunate here again our president and our athletic director are extremely supportive of trying to get our guys back on the court and doing it you know the right way and so our guys have been home for a while, but uh, what's today, January 4th or 5th, we're going to bring them back next week. And our conference still has not made a final decision. I'm a little jealous of my old ODAC friends. You know, they're, they're all gearing up, ready to play in a couple of weeks. We're not as sure, um, but, you know, there's enough teams up here in this, like, PA Northeast area that are, are going to play that even if our conference decides to not make a go of it as a conference – I think, uh, you know, we'll still be able to compile some sort of a schedule together and give our guys, you know, the opportunity to get out there and compete nice. some, you know, over these next few months. So we're getting ready for the testing and the contacts tracing, and hopefully we don't need too much of that. And masks, you know, and, and you know, being socially distant in the locker room and in meetings and just being smart with how we conduct ourselves, you know, day to day. And, you know, you, you try to do it. Hopefully everyone does what they're supposed to, and then you gotta get lucky. Still, yeah. despite all that, so just hoping for the best. No, I uh, I look forward to it. Hopefully, you know, let me know when your first practice is. If I'm not doing anything, maybe I'll have to slide up and hear some of your, uh, you know, your rock concert there for practice number one. But uh, I, um, you know, I, I look we'll, forward we'll to give it. You a hazmat suit. You gotta wear. It <laughs> I was that, well. that was my next question. You know, what what kind of outfit am I gonna have to come in N95 mask with? You know, some PPE on or something like that, just to just to be a, a witness. Um, but you know, I uh, I know that you're a busy guy, and I know that uh, that you're hoping to get back in the uh, the throes of the game like I am as well. Um, I appreciate your time tonight. I, I know uh, first Monday of the new year. You uh, probably got something to catch up on and keep yourself ready, but I, I just wanted to get you on here. I wanted to catch up, talk a little bit, and uh, I appreciate your time. Um, I am going to have you back on, though. I think we have some fun conversations, and we really didn't even have a chance to get into the stories of recruiting and traveling on the road and you know eating complete junk food like we do for five or six straight days, but uh, I'd like to share some say, of those you stories, too. Bar Louie. That's way too upscale. I think most <laughs> nights after... Being in a gym for twelve hours, it was a Wawa or a McDonald's or a uh, we, we, I don't know, Shake Shack. I don't know something that was not good for the uh, for the human oh, body. Oh my we goodness, we ate down and just laughing a lot. Harrisonburg had one of these. What was it a cookout? Oh, cookout! Yeah, oh. have them up here. It's one of the things I miss. I miss a lot of things, you know, about Virginia and the South. It's a great, great place to live. 
uh, cookout, it's, you know, yeah, come on. Classic. You know, the bang for your buck at cookout, Chad, is, <laughs> it's, is second to none. I remember, like, we'd get on the bus and Coach would be like, hey, we're eating a cookout on the way home, man. We could have lost by 40 and those dudes were happy. Like, they just were, like, <laughs> trying to figure out, like, how can I get a milkshake to go with my burger and fry? I mean, and honestly, it is it is good food. Like, you know, I, I mean, cookout and then Wawa. I mean, I remember, God, going to Reading, PA. I think, I think Hoop Group kept Wawa open for the month of July. Hell, they probably paid for their entire summer salaries at that place. Like, every coach that went to Hoop Group was at Wawa. I mean, that was nuts. When you've been on a in a gym watching maybe not the greatest level of basketball from probably about <laughs> 12 <8 a>. hours <laughs> to maybe if you're lucky 8 or 9 p.m yep. right and you've maybe had like a pretzel like one of those you know soft pretzels that they sold in the concession stand in the lobby for yeah, like five dollars and uh which is bad enough right and then maybe like a hot dog or hamburger and then you are exhausted and you just want to get to your bed and sleep Yep. or, you know, usually depend on what night it was, you know, maybe, you know, hang out with your buddies. Cause that's another one of the positives of being out on the road traveling. Absolutely. And there's a Wawa, you know, steps from the campus, you know, the, really the answer is made for you right there. Oh. Like you have the, you go into the Wawa, you're going to get a hoagie and some other not, you know, great but calorie rich um nourishment and you're gonna call it an evening that's just it's just it's the human condition you know at work right there did you ever go to the pizza place up the street no i that's too far chad i was not going <laughs> anywhere and that was gonna be the quickest way to get me some food in my stomach and back to my back to my hotel room bed. did you hear wawa in the morning too did you go there and grab a coffee Absolutely, and of course well I like I I tried to stay at places that had a some level of a serviceable breakfast because then you didn't have to waste time to get sleep a little bit more. Um, but I was not opposed to Wawa for breakfast as well. No, neither was I. We uh, I, I kind of learned how to drink coffee on the road a little bit doing some of that stuff. But no, well, I, like maybe this has been that we're talking about. This is maybe also why I'm down like ten pounds. By the way, because I haven't <laughs> been on the road recruiting in like eight months, so that could also be another reason why. I'm actually in uh, in uh, enough shape uh, that maybe maybe I might have a date, you know, sometime in 2021. Nah, you're you're gonna get a we'll date in 2021. We just got to get you back on the sideline first, so somebody can watch you. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. You guys said you gotta hope for the best. This has yep. been a very tough time uh, for everybody, and you know, you feel for our guys, mm-hmm. and uh, I just would love from for them to be able to experience that joy of being out there and competing. Cause even in October and November when we weren't, we had no game in sight, but I was just so impressed with how they came to practice and compete every day. Yeah. And, and I think partly it's cause we've done a good job, hopefully recruiting yep. the right guys, but, but also, you know, it's still, it's still a nice thing when you have it. And so I hope that continues. I hope we're able to play someone other than ourselves. And, you know, I, people always ask, because I was always a really good student. Um, it's funny. I was a good student. My brother was not. I became the college basketball coach, and he's a trauma surgeon in New York City right now. So, you know, it's funny how those things work out. And I, I, I was going to NYU, and I would be on the subway every day, and all those guys in suits on Wall Street or law firms, which is probably what my 
initial destiny was to do that. They didn't look very happy, and I got into coaching when I was 20 at Wagner when, when Mike Dean hired me, and I've just been either too dumb or too stubborn or uh, really probably just blessed to be able to do it since. And uh, you got to remind yourself sometimes that, uh, you know, to do this as your job is is uh, is really nice. And so hopefully I get to really start doing it uh, for for show, as you said, uh, yep. sooner rather than later here on the sidelines. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that for you. I, uh, I appreciate your time today and I look forward to, uh, you know, getting you back on here. But I'll also look forward to your text when we uh, go back and forth as we text not in just season, but, you know, I, I look forward to any time you and I can have a little chit-chat. But uh, definitely once season's up and running, we can kind of share some good stories and some agony, but we can also kind of be there to support each other. So, um, Coach, I appreciate your time. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Best of luck this month getting the guys back on campus, and I'll, uh, I look forward to having you back on soon. All right. Sounds great, Chad. Thanks a lot. I want to thank Coach Postiglione for being on this evening. Sean's awesome. We get to catch up every once in a while, but tonight was pretty special. I enjoyed having that conversation with him. We will be back on first thing tomorrow morning, catching up with whatever happens in sports this evening, as well as uh, just kind of starting to talk about a little bit of anything and everything here on Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. Until then, have a good evening.